If you're a guest, my name's David. I'm the pastor of the church. We're so glad you're here. We hope you always feel welcome any part of what we have going on. You know, go get your free gift. You don't have to give us any information. Just leave your social and bank information. That's all we want ever from you. I'm just kidding. You know, we don't ever expect you to give any money to our church ever at all. We're just so glad you're here. I hope you feel welcome to feel a part of things. We're in a series entitled It Begins. Uh, it began at the first of the summer. It's going through the next week. And uh, this is a series that deals with the beginning of the movement of the church, how everything kind of came in into being, how the movement began of what we call the church. And, uh, and one of the things I've shared with you every week is this statement that no story uh, matters more than the story of Jesus. Now, every week I've shared that. This is the message that I hope it all comes together. This is, even though we got one more sermon next week, and it's a good sermon, and next week we deal, the end of chapter two of Acts is kind of a summary, and we're going to get into that and what it means, and that's important, but, but this is like the climax of this series, because it's, it's, it's the climactic conclusion, really, of the meat of Acts chapter two, and we, we need to see why the story of Jesus is the only story that matters, and so today we're going to be in Acts chapter two, verses 37 through 41. And uh, as we come to this passage, this is really what I want you to get from this message today, that the story of Jesus is a story that moves us to a response. Somehow, some way, when you hear the story of Jesus, you must, you have to respond somehow. So I'm going to share three things with you. And the first is this, is a story of Jesus is a story of conviction. It ought to, in some way, convict you. Now, Peter's been preaching. And, you know, Acts chapter 1 and 2, you know, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, uh, we see that Jesus said right before he ascended, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You'll have his power. You'll be witnesses. You'll start in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the rest of the world. So they started in Jerusalem on, on the Sunday of Pentecost, you know. And as I shared with you, Jews from all over the world had come a couple of months earlier to be at Passover. Every Jew is expected to go to Passover once in their life. They came. They would stay you know, the seven extra weeks, the 50 days to get to Pentecost. They just made a big trip out of it. Some of them might be the only time they come. Some might come every year, but that's just the way it was. And, and so on Pentecost Sunday, the Holy Spirit came to 120 believers. And they were filled with the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they began spilling out into the streets on Pentecost, sharing Jesus in languages they did not know, but it was the languages of all these people. And the people began to hear this. The thousands heard it in their own language. Peter gets up and, and begins to preach. It says, what you're hearing isn't chaos. It's the Spirit of God fulfilling what you read in the prophet Joel. That when that day comes, when the last day comes, in other words, the day of the Messiah comes, the Spirit of God will be poured out. This is the evidence. And then he begins to share how Jesus fulfills the scriptures, their scriptures, our Old Testament, their scriptures about the Messiah. And as he begins to share how he fulfills that, the Holy Spirit begins to work in their life. And something begins to happen. And way back a few weeks ago, when I began and introduced the early part of Acts chapter 2 about the Holy Spirit coming, this is what I share with you, that what happens when the life of an unbeliever, the Holy Spirit, convicts of sin and convinces us of our need for Jesus. If you follow Jesus, at some point the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and convinced you that you needed Jesus. And so we pick up with verse 37. Now, it says, when they heard this, they heard the preaching of Peter. They were pierced to the heart. Now, to us, the heart is the place of emotions. You know, man, I love, I love him or her with all my heart. I give my heart to you. And, and, and that's in our culture and our way of doing things. That's, 
That's how it was. But in those days, the heart was more than emotion. It was the place of conviction. It was the place of the real you. The place of emotion was your stomach, your bowels. And so we might say, I love you with every bit of my gut. And in my case, that, that, that would be a lot of love, that a lot of gut. In your case, you're so skinny, I don't even know why you put up with him. He can't possibly love you with this whole gut. He has no gut. Feed the boy. And, and so the heart was the place where the real you lived. It says they were pierced. NIV has cut, stabbed in the heart means they came under conviction. They came to realize something in their life. And so they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, so I guess the other guys were up there, you know, maybe there was some other talking going on, we don't know, but this is just a, a summation, really. We don't, you can read this thing in about three minutes, I guarantee you they preached a lot longer than that. They said, brothers, so they, in other words, we're identifying with you, brothers, what shall we do? What's next? They weren't actually asking necessarily about what works do we do. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell the story of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus. And so what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? He says, in other words, what works must I do? What, what things with my money? Let me take my money. Let me take my stuff. Let me leverage it. And I'll come to faith. And it says he walked away sad because he was rich. He wouldn't want to respond the way Jesus told him to respond. Here they're just saying, how do we respond? They're saying, Peter, guys, we're broken. We don't want to know what to do. And that's the thing. There comes a sense of brokenness. That sense of, of realizing our sin. I mean, the apostolic message that Peter preached was you sinned. And Jesus died in your place on your behalf. He didn't deserve to die, but he died for you. Understand this. Encountering Jesus should lead to a sense of brokenness. At some point in your life, when you realize the price Jesus paid for your life, when you realize what Jesus did for you, it ought to lead you to a place of brokenness in your life. I want you just to picture for a moment. You're one of that crowd. I mean, you're Jewish. You've grown up that way. And your whole life, your people have been just dominated by the Romans. I mean, dominated by the Romans. You haven't had a nation of Israel. You haven't had a king in 600 years. But all your life you're told, don't worry. One day a king will come, a Messiah will come, will come from the family of David. And they'll go into Rome, and I mean, they'll go into Jerusalem, and they'll just kick out the Romans and reestablish our people, and the Messiah and the people will reign forever, and, and, and the dead Jews will raise up, they'll be resurrected, and we'll, we'll all reign, it'll happen, it'll come. And you've spent your life believing it, but deep down you're like, no, I don't think I'll ever see it. And you're part of this system, it's become the Jewish religious system, with all these rules and regulations, and it just leaves you empty, and it leaves you broken, but you try, and you try, and you try, thinking somehow, just doing all the stuff Jews do might help. And so you go to Jerusalem because that's what you're told to do. And you got there two months earlier. On that Sunday before Passover, there's a ruckus and a commotion outside in the streets. And you go out there. And you see thousands of people shouting, yelling, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And you see this guy riding on a donkey. And you think about Zechariah and what it says about the Messiah coming. And you begin to wonder, is this guy the Messiah? There becomes this hope, this, this 
interest because maybe just maybe by the grace of God, you came to Jerusalem the one year, the Passover year, the Messiah comes, and you're waiting for this guy who you hear is Jesus to do something, only you find out a few days later that the Romans put him to death with the help of the Jewish leaders because they said he's not the Messiah. And once again, life is hopeless and helpless. And then you hear that somehow the tomb of this guy is empty. And you begin to wonder, but you hear also that, no, the disciples just came and stole his body. Seven weeks go by. It's Pentecost. You're going home in a few days. And you go out into the streets, and once again, there's almost a riot. There's a commotion going on. And this time, there are these people from Galilee, 120 of them. And they're speaking And they're not speaking Hebrew. And they're not speaking Greek. They're speaking your language, your tongue, your dialect. And they begin to talk of Jesus. And amidst all this, at the temple on the porch of Solomon, one of those guys stands up. It turns out, you find out later, to be Peter. And he begins to tell you, what you're hearing isn't crazy. It's the fulfillment of the prophet Joel about the Spirit of God, which means the Messiah has come. And that Messiah was Jesus. He did all the Messiah was supposed to do. And he died in your place. And he died in your behalf. And God raised him from the dead. And he is Lord. And you begin to wonder. And everybody else begins to wonder. Well, what do we do? You, you believe him. Your life feels different. Your life feels changed. Your life feels convicted. So you shout out, well, what do we do? What do we do? What do you do when you encounter Jesus? What do you do when you are convicted? He is Lord. Peter gives us the answer. For not only do we see that the story of Jesus is a story of conviction, we see that the story of Jesus is a story of movement. In your life, when you come to encounter Christ, there is movement. Verse 38, we see that. Peter said to them, repent. And each of you repent. Oh, that's a good church word, right? We love that word, repent. Repent is this beautiful word. And it means to change the course or direction. In the New Testament, it's really used to speak of someone who lives in rebellion against God. You, you live, you, you basically, what it means is this. We live our life the way we want to. We don't care what God wants. It's our life. We're going to do it. You know, we may give lip service to God. We may acknowledge him. But we're going to live our life our way. And that way is, ends up being rebellion against God. And so we're just traveling this path in opposition to where God wants And when you travel the path, sometimes you're going, not knowing where the path ends, there may come another way, another road, another path that you may take to lead you somewhere else. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount ended it this way. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for broad is the gate, and broad is the road, the path that leads to destruction, and everybody travels it. But very narrow is the gate, very narrow is the road that leads to a life, and very few people ever find that. To repent is to understand you have found that other path. And you step out in faith and take it and it leads you away from 
where you were going that leads you back to God. And the path is Jesus. And you always travel the path based on faith. You see, repentance and faith go together. They're two sides of the same coin. Even if faith isn't used, to repent is understood as to have faith. To have faith is understood that you must repent. To believe is to repent. It's one thing. You pivot based on Jesus and you follow him and you no longer follow your own sinful path. He says, repent. Each of you, every one of you have to do it. And then he says this, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Be baptized. It's a command. Now, the word baptized means to be put under. It means to be dunked. It's part of our, our Christian faith. We don't, we don't get baptized in order to be, sin, to be saved. Jesus says in Matthew 28, go make disciples of everybody and baptize them. Once they get saved, you, you baptize them. And baptism is for believers. And it's, it's a violent word. The word baptize is a violent word. It means to, sh- to shove under and dunk. And it means to drown in essence. And then obviously to pull them back up because if you just shove them under and drown them and they die, then it really is violent. And I don't want Joe and those guys to go to jail when they do that. I don't want Joe to jail because they don't have to take care of your wife. You know, that's give her money. And so it, it, it's to pull them back. And, and there is no concept in the New Testament of a believer not being baptized. I mean, Acts chapter 8, the Ethiopian comes to faith and he said, there's water. What prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. Romans chapter 16. You know, Paul leads the Roman guard to salvation. He goes to his home and leads his family to salvation. It says they all believe and they're baptized. So some of you are believers, but you've never been baptized. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It doesn't mean you're going to hell. It doesn't mean that. But you understand that's not a concept that's, you know, that jives with the New Testament. When you're a follower of Jesus, you get baptized. And here's what it says. You're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to see in the phrase, in the name, and for just a moment, we're going to see some prepositions. And I know you, you don't care about prepositions. I don't care about them, but they're kind of important because prepositions speak of movement. And to understand this verse correctly, because you can understand it incorrectly, you've got to know what they're for. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, the word name means the character of, or basically it's because of Jesus you're being baptized. Now, that word in, is the prepositions speak of, of movement. You can be in and out, up or down, on or under, through. It just, it's just an idea of movement or location, and basically. And, and, and whatever the preposition is, it has to agree with the, the nouns. You know, in Greek, they have all these different things, case, person, number, all this stuff you don't care about. But there has to be an agreement. So it, it impacts the way you translate it. So the word that's translated in actually means to be upon or on something. It means there's something underneath it to give stability. But we wouldn't say be baptized on the name of Jesus or upon the name of Jesus. It's just not good English. Even I, who don't do good English, know that's not good English. You know? When you do bad English, you, you, you know bad English. You know? You, you, you're proud of it, you know, to some degree. I don't do good English, but that's not good English. So it uses the word it, but what it means is this. You're baptized upon the character of Jesus. Your baptism is based on Jesus. Not something you've done, but upon him. And it says then, for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, all of us have sinned, right? We don't like that word much, but we've rebelled against God. We've just gone our thing, man. And the minute you think, if you think you haven't sinned, well, then you just sinned, okay? So you've sinned. So just admit it. You've rebelled against God, and we want forgiveness. We want that release. How do we get that release? Well, it's not that baptism releases us from sin. There again, that word for 
The preposition actually that it, that it translates means movement from in, outside to inside. It means into. So in John 3.16, for God so loved the world, they gave his one and only son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish with everlasting life. In him means you went from not believing to believing. There was movement. The word means into. So it means to be baptized into the forgiveness of sins. Well, that's not good, good English at all. So we say for. Now, it could mean, for could mean for the purpose of. Movement, you, so you're being baptized, moving you to the purpose of forgiveness. But that, that's not good theology. That's bad teaching. We're not baptized in order to be forgiven. We're already forgiven. So it also means on the basis of or on account of. So you read it this way. Be baptized on account of the forgiveness of your sins. That's what it means. So we're baptized, not to save us, not to get forgiveness. We're baptized because we have already received the forgiveness of sin. And something else happens. It says this, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we baptized upon our repentance and belief, which go together, we receive the Holy Spirit. It's a gift given to us. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. But just like the 120 received the Holy Spirit, Peter's saying you're going to receive the Holy Spirit as well. It's the gift that you get. So it means something like this. Repent in faith. And because you've repented in faith, you have received the forgiveness of your sins, and you have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They're yours. Now be baptized upon what Jesus Christ has done for you. That's what that verse means. Verse 29 then says this. For the promise is for you and your children. It's for you. It's for your kids. And for all those who are far off. So it doesn't mean that children necessarily will be saved. But it means every generation will be saved. And it means those who are far off, those who are Gentiles, anyone can be saved. And it says, for as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. Whoever the Lord our God calls to himself will be saved. Now notice the emphasis is on God calling. You don't get to pick and choose. You don't get to name the, the day and place. I'll wait till maybe November 3rd. And then I'll give my life to Jesus. No, you don't do that. You, it's now or maybe never. And all those he calls. What it means is this. Anyone can follow Jesus. You realize that, don't you? Can an atheist follow Jesus? Well, yeah. Can that Muslim friend of yours follow Jesus? Absolutely. Can that person who lives a different, an alternative lifestyle from us follow Jesus? Sure. Anyone can follow Jesus. In fact, all of us have to do the same thing. We have to turn away as a point, all of us weren't following Jesus. We have to repent. We have to turn away and have faith to follow Jesus. And all who call upon the name of the Lord, we say, anyone can do that. So here they were under conviction, saying, what do we do? Hey, Peter, what do we do? When he says you repent in faith and your sins will be forgiven, you'll receive the Holy Spirit, and they're going to be baptized. Go be baptized. Because of Jesus. And any of you can experience that. So here's the thing. The best way to respond to the story of Jesus is with repentance and faith. In fact, that's the only true way to respond to Jesus. So I've shared with you that the story of Jesus is a story of conviction. The story of Jesus is a story of movement. Finally, I want to share with you the story of Jesus is a story that changes lives. It is a story that changes my life, changes your life. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save those who are lost. We don't like that term lost. I know that. That's our culture. I don't like telling me I'm lost. The guys really don't like it. 
I don't know how many times I had to tell my wife, baby, we ain't lost. I know where we are. One time we were in California, and I had to say, honey, I meant to go to East L.A. I wanted you to experience this part of life. <laughs> Guys, you know this. We're always one turn away from being right where we need to be, right? But it's, it's just, we're one turn. I never liked Siri arguing with me in the car about where to turn. I'm like, I know where to turn, Siri. I don't need you telling me. I missed four turns one time just to prove a point. I never knew the car could cuss at me, but it did, you know. <laughs> We're lost from God. Our sin puts us that way. Jesus said, I came to seek you. I came to save you. That word saves a beautiful word in the Greek. We're going to see it in just a minute. It means to rescue from unbelievable danger. It means you can't do it. Someone has to do it for you. It's like you're shipwrecked at sea. Man, I don't ever want to be shipwrecked at sea. I've seen that. I've seen all the things in the ocean that can eat you. There's this movie called The Meg. I don't want The Meg to eat me. I don't want to become Jaws 6. You could die that way, or you could just die of exposure. You know, you, all that water, you can't drink it, so you get dehydrated, or you could just drown. But someone has to come and save you, rescue you. That's what it means. See, here's the thing. The story of Jesus is a story of salvation. It's a story of change. You were drowning. You were at sea. Things changed. You were, you were an enemy of God. That changed. Changes your life. So we come to verse 40. And here's what it says. And with many other words, he solemnly testifies. But he gave witness, seriously, and kept on exhorting and encouraging them, saying, be saved. Be saved from this perverse generation. The word perverse means to be twisted. We get our word scoliosis from it. It means to be mangled. I think the NIV has the word uh, corrupt. The New Living Translation may have crooked. It, it means that which is mangled. Be saved from this culture, this generation, from the way of the world. Do that. And then verse 41 just kind of summarizes. It's part of the summary that we'll see next week, but I just pulled it out. It says this. So then, because of all this, in summary, all of those who had received his word were baptized. All, all who believed were baptized. And get this, on that day there were added about 3,000 souls or people. 3,000. Jesus said, the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witness. It's going to start in Jerusalem. And so it begins. On that day, the Christian movement began. People were there for so many different reasons. They'd come to Pentecost. Some, maybe they came all the time. Maybe they were from the area and they always come. And maybe, maybe some came because it was expected of them and it was their duty and they came. And maybe some came because their lives were messed up and broken and hurting and they just wanted answers and thought maybe if I go to Jerusalem and I celebrate Passover and Pentecost, maybe I'll find it. All of you are here today for different reasons. Some of you, this is your church and you come and you love to worship and you love to praise God and we're so thankful for that. And some of you come maybe out of a sense of duty or obligation. That's okay. <laughs> there are days that I come out of a sense of duty or obligation. I'm like, well, I guess I got to go. I got to go four times. So I guess I better show up. And some of you here because your life's broken. Man, your life seems hopeless. Seems helpless. You're just trying to find something. Maybe the problem, and you look at your life and you know it's you, really. You've messed your life up. You know it. You pursued all that money and you pursued all that wealth. In the course of doing it, you took a lot of shortcuts. And you hurt a lot of people. 
And at the end of the day, you have a lot of stuff, but you don't have anything that matters. You don't have any relationships. You don't have any peace. You have this guilt for everything you've done, and you can't get rid of the guilt. Some of you, you hear it because you've been abused emotionally, physically. You've just gone from one relationship to another, and you've had one lifestyle after another, and none of them have worked, none of them have helped you, and they just leave you empty, and they leave you feeling dirty, and they leave you feeling used up. Some of you, you've lived a life of substances, drugs, and alcohol, and it's got you high, but the highs aren't as high as they used to be, and they take so much more effort, and the lows are so low, and your health is bad, and your mental health is bad, and you just don't like life. Some of you, it's your family that's messed up, but your marriage that messed up. Maybe you messed it up. <laughs> you might have. Or maybe the other person messed it up. Or maybe it's a combination, but you're just like, my family's messed up, David. My marriage is a mess. Some of you are here because you're lonely. I mean, you got friends, you got people all around you, but you're just so lonely and empty inside. Some of you are tired. You get so tired of life. You get so tired of the same old, same old. And you don't know what to do. You've tried so many things, but they never work. Nothing works except Jesus. Jesus always works. And Jesus will work in your life. Because he came for you, just you. And he died on the cross for you, just you. And he gave his life for yours. And then God raised him back to life so you could have life. And you say, okay, I believe it, but what do I do? You repent. It's not complicated. You just admit that what you've been doing isn't going to work. And you ask for forgiveness for rebelling against God. And you say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus, and I'm going to turn, I'm going to go this other path. And this path is you, and I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm going to take my life, and I'm going to give it to you because of your story and what you've done. Way back at the beginning of summer, I began the series by saying the only story that matters is the story of Jesus. No other story matters more than the story of Jesus. You know why that's true? It's really simple. Because Jesus saves. This is his story. And this can be your story. That the Jesus who saves, saves you, just like he saved me. That can be the story of your life. So I began this message saying that the story of Jesus moves us to a response. So how do you respond? For some of you, the way you've spent your life responding whenever you hear the story of Jesus is to say no. It's to reject him. And you can do that. He gives you the chance to reject him. But understand this, there will come a day when you will reject Jesus 
for the very last time. I'm not saying something will happen to you. I'm just saying there will come a time when God will say, okay, enough's enough. I keep calling you to me and you keep saying no. So there's going to come a time when the Lord's going to give you what you want. If you tell Jesus enough, I don't want you, Jesus is going to say, well, as you wish, I'll give you what you want. I won't bother you ever again. There will come a time when you'll reject Jesus for the very last time. But you can respond the way you should respond. You can repent and you can believe. And if you've never done that, at this very second you can do that. It's not a process. It doesn't take a series of hours, weeks, or months, just a series of split seconds to repent and trust him with your life. And some of you need to do that right now. And some of you, you've already followed Jesus, but you just kind of kept it kind of quiet. You know, uh, I keep my faith kind of quiet. Okay. But it's supposed to be lived publicly. Maybe you've never been baptized. Now, I mean, you're not going to go to hell if you don't get baptized. Don't, don't hear that. But you really should get baptized. It's kind of what Jesus wants. Peter says, repent and then be baptized. So maybe you need to do that. Now, what you can do when this service is over, if you want, you can go out to the Welcome Center, get a Connect card, and say, hey, can I have a Connect card? I want to talk to you. You don't have to talk to them. They're nice people. They say, look, I don't want to talk to you. I tell people all the time, I don't want to talk to you. You can do that. And just take that card and put your name. That's all you need in a contact info. And say, I want to give my life to Christ, or I want to be baptized. And go put it in a brown box, and we'll get with you. Or you can right now walk up here. I'm going to be here. There'll be a couple of others up here. Ladies, there'll be another gal up here if you want to talk to a woman. You can come and give your life to Jesus. You can come and say, I need to make it public. I need to be baptized, whatever. But just do this. Be sure that when you walk out of here today, and you will walk out of here, walk out of here having repented, having believed, having followed Jesus Christ. So, Father, when we come before you, to thank you for Jesus and for saving us. There's a beautiful song that says, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you for what you have done and you will do. And for that one person who is here, whose life is broken, who needs today to trust Christ. I pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit, they will repent and they will believe. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand and you come.